Well, if you want to open up to Revelation 1, I'm going to read verses 1 to 9 of Revelation 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom Priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. We'll stop there. Well, just kind of reminder, review. Last week kind of gave part one of the introduction to Revelation. We talked about the word revelation is also the word in Greek apocalypse. And we just talked about how it's a revealing of Jesus. This book is about showing us Jesus. Um, we want to see Jesus, and this, you know, Lord willing, next uh, week we'll go over this vision of Jesus that John has, and that's the way the book starts. And we talked about the original audience, these seven churches in the Roman Empire in modern-day Turkey. Actually, I've got the... I'll show you the slide again. And... We talked about the audience. Uh, this was the audience to this when it was ori- originally written. John was here on Patmos, this island down here, and he was there because of persecution. And it was a common practice to banish people to islands. It wasn't a desert island, and there was things there. There was temples there to false gods and things like that, and cities. And so John was there, and he wrote this letter and to real people, real churches. And even the order that the letter is written in is written in the order that a messenger would travel. And if they came by foot, they would go, obviously, across on a boat there to Ephesus and then by foot up and around. And that's the order in which the letters are written to the churches. And so these are real churches with real people with real struggles and living under a difficult government, the Roman government, that is not, um, that is persecuting Christians at this time. And we talked about John being uh, one of the apostles and the pastoral nature of his letter wanting to encourage the Christians there. But ultimately, kind of the main message there was just that when you think about Revelation, not just think about the book of Revelation, which it, it that is the title of the book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ, but to think about what that word means. Like we talked about, if I said, open up to the revealing of Jesus, 
that would be like, what book is that? Well, that's the book of Revelation, the revealing of Jesus. And so that's the main message here. And this week, just going to kind of take, continue on with that second part. And also, just kind of a side note or whatever, um, Revelation has a lot of things in it that are you might have a question about. And the way I think, Lord willing, I plan to handle that is I'm going to give my message, I feel like hit the main points, and then at the end I'll ask questions or comments, and there might be something where you think, well, this wasn't really a main part of the message, but why does it say, for example, this week you might say, well, why does it talk about the seven spirits? That's kind of strange. What does that? What do you think that means? If there's something like that that doesn't really fit into the core of the message, I'm going to probably not cover it, but feel free to uh, maybe ask about it afterwards. And so that's kind of the way I'm going to do it, um, is the plan anyways, Lord willing. Okay, so then today, let's talk about uh, these first nine verses here and just continue on on this introduction because, well, as we go through Revelation, just good to have an overview. You know, like we talked about last time, we went over the whole book and how each one of these images that seem strange to us is always contrasting Jesus. The beast is contrasting the lamb. The prostitute is contrasting the bridegroom. Uh, all these times where it's pointing to Jesus. And if you really know that this is about the revelation of Jesus, whenever you come to this passage, I'm not sure really what this is talking about. We can ask, well, what does it say about Jesus? And that, that'll, that'll be helped to help us understand it. But today, gonna talk about a lot of the main themes here of the book and give a, another kind of overview, but more in terms of uh, specific themes, and also the way we talk about Revelation. Because, I mean, several people even said, well, when I heard we are going to do Revelation, I was kind of nervous. Because a lot of times we've, in American Christianity, focus on things that are really not the central message uh, of the book. So let's start here in verse 3 here, and I want to point something out to you. Uh, Revelation 1.3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This is very similar to a verse that actually book as at the end of the book, and I'll read that to you. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. That's Revelation 22.7. It would be really sad if we went through the whole book and we missed the blessing that God is wanting for us to have. Wouldn't it? And it would actually be pretty easy to do it. Um, and when we talk about the book of Revelation, the words and the things and the themes we talk about just naturally in our culture are a lot of times the most controversial things. And I'll give you an example here. Okay. Um, a lot of times we talk about the differences in the views. I'm going to explain this. But basically, uh, there's several different views and they kind of, I actually split it into two slides because it's there's so many different views and they kind of mishmash different things. But but when we focus on Revelation, we think a lot about titles of different views like dispensationalism or amillennialism or preterist or these other terms. And in many cases, these terms are based on the places where we disagree rather than the places in the middle where we where everyone agrees. And what happens is the places where people disagree becomes the focus rather than what letting the book and letting God define the focus for us. And so it would be like preaching through Philippians and the one verse that 
people, you know, disagree on the most. We focus on that and we say, well, I'm a such and such, um, believer. And we, we focus in on the one disagreement rather than all the things we have in common. It'd be a strange way to preach a book. But that's kind of what we do with Revelation, where we focus on these, these things where people have differing views that sometimes only come up one time in the, in the book. For example, the millennium. It really only comes up one time. And yet, in many cases, we, uh, in American Christianity, define our, what we believe about it based on that one difficult passage where people disagree. And so, I don't want to do that. Um, and one of the reasons I don't want to do that is, the blessing is not come from knowing all the different positions and having all your charts figured out. Where does the blessing come from? What is God asking us and what is God wanting to work in our lives? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep or obey what is written in it for the time is near. Revelation 22.7 Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy and of this book. You know, what if we got through the end of the book and we could all give all the different positions. We've got all our charts and we can tell where, where we agree, where we disagree. And we could take it back to Daniel and say, this is where it, what's referring to here. And at the end, we miss the blessing because we weren't obeying, because we weren't focusing on Jesus. Uh, we don't want that, do we? And so, really want to set the tone here. And it kind of reminds me, I'm going to give a, a, give you a story from history. Kind of reminds me of this, apply it spiritually. Um, Harry Truman, the president, there's this funny story in his, in his biography where he got his daughter a Christmas gift and she was pretty young. And at, when she got this Christmas gift, she just cried and cried. Oh, I, I don't like this. I wanted a toy train. And what he had bought her was a grand piano. And the kid, as you could, you could imagine, um, well, the kid didn't like that. The kid wanted something else. The interesting thing is his daughter actually grew up to become a professional musician. Like she, that was, ended up being what she did, which, uh, singing and, and things like that, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and I feel like sometimes we are like the little girl and God is, you know, the one giving us a good gift. And your revelation, I feel like is kind of like that because I think, Sometimes we have a curiosity. We want, well, I want this book to fulfill my curiosity. I want to know something about the future. I want to have all these things figured out. Well, that's not really the purpose of the book of Revelation, that we're not going to have it all figured out. Uh, we, you aren't going to be able to have your chart and to know exactly when Jesus is coming. We know that from the Gospels when Jesus said, nobody knows the day or the hour. <laughs> and so we're not going to be that person. Um, what is the book for? Well, it's for encouraging our faith. It's for helping weak and discouraged Christians in the midst of a culture that is against Christianity. And sometimes we think we know what we want, but God knows what we need. And the book of Revelation, we want to take what God's giving us and not try and um, read into it something that's not there or is a secondary issue. So, uh, let's see here. All right. This is one of the reasons I wanted to um, really share on the book of Revelation is I was reading through it in my own personal, you know, study and, and I was just trying to understand the different positions and so I made a, a chart. This is, looks a lot better than the one that I made originally because I was all chicken scratch by hand and I started writing, okay, what are the different positions? And then I noticed something really strange. 
wow, all the really, really encouraging and wonderful stuff is right here in the middle where everyone agrees. <laughs> and that really encouraged my heart. Um, but in some ways, it's also a little bit sad because we tend, like I said, to focus on these other external things here. That this idea of hearing and obeying, that really fits in where everyone agrees. And so think about these things. The authority of Jesus. That Jesus is king over everything. Uh, that comes up here in the verses we read. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. Jesus is in control. The Father uh, ultimately gives the authority to Jesus, so we could just say God is in control. But Jesus is the King of kings. He's got authority. And everyone agrees on that. Every, everyone agrees that Jesus is King of kings. And that He has all authority. We could call it, we could say God's sovereign, uh, if you wanted to say it that way. But the authority of Jesus comes up over and over and over. You know, this, looking through the book of Revelation, the word throne comes up over and over and over. 41 different times the word throne comes up. And 37 of the times it's uh, Jesus being on the throne. You know, the God is on the throne and He's in control. And that's one of the things that God wants us to know from this. That He's in control. Faith in Jesus. That we ought to trust Him. Uh, in these first nine verses, it doesn't talk about our faith in Jesus. Like Explicitly it talks about the faithfulness of Jesus, which... He's the faithful witness. But the idea is because He's faithful, we can trust Him. Because He's faithful, we can have faith in Him. Because He's trustworthy, we can trust Him. And that comes up all through throughout the whole book. That there's difficulties here. There's difficulties in this life and God wants us to trust Him. And we all agree on that. No matter what you know uh, viewpoint you take on the more controversial issues or, or even how you read some of these things, we can... No, I'm here to trust Jesus. I, what does God want me to do today? Whether the, He's going to return tomorrow or in a thousand years, whether, you know, all these different views, I need to be trusting Jesus. We definitely know that. And we can all agree on that. Forgiveness in Jesus. That comes up here in these first nine verses. To Him, this is verse five, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. We want to be forgiven by Jesus, don't we? What if we got all these outer positions right and we weren't forgiven by Jesus? We hadn't repented. We're not trusting Him to save us from our sins. Well, that would be sad, right? And yet, we can trust that Christ has fully and freely forgiven us by His blood from our sins through faith, through trusting Him. And that's good news, isn't it? That's better news than knowing when the millennium is, <laughs> right? And so... We can be forgiven in Jesus, and that comes up over and over. Obedient, obeying Jesus, obedience towards towards God. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep, who obey what is written in it. Uh, we, we talked about that. We want to obey Jesus. We not only want to know that He's on the throne, but we want to treat Him as the King that He is, which means obedience. We want to obey what He says. And that's one of the promised um Blessings is promised because of our obedience. We want to obey Him. Endurance in Jesus. This is at the very end. This is a really interesting verse. I really like this verse. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos. Partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. We've got endurance. Where do we find our endurance? Whenever we're discouraged, whenever we're down, whenever something is not going the way we wanted, whenever um, 
things aren't going the way we thought in our culture, in our family, in our church. We endure in Jesus. He's the one we look to for our endurance. You know, it's interesting that all these three are here are connected. We can't really separate it. You can't say, I'm going to have the endurance in Jesus, but I don't want to be a part of His kingdom. Right? I want to endure in Jesus, but I don't want difficulty and suffering, which is the word tribulation there. No, we don't. We can't separate. They're going to go together. If we're part of His kingdom, there is going to be suffering, but there's endurance in Jesus. We can endure through the end. Um, all the way through the end, even if it's the last days, even if it's right before Jesus comes and there's lots of difficulties in this in this book of Revelation, but yet a theme that's hit over and over is endurance. We can endure to the end. We can meet the Lord face to face. And everyone agrees on that. Victory of Jesus over evil. Or we could say God. Um, this is again in this section we just read, just pointing out some of these major themes that just come up right here at the beginning. One seven, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. It's kind of hinting at the last day when every knee is going to bow, and everyone will see, here comes Jesus, you know, triumphant, where everyone will weep and wail. Even those who pierced him are going to mourn. Um, and there's going to be someone worshiping Christ from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Ultimate victory over evil. That's good news. If you had to choose between, I'd rather know uh, when the millennium is or I'd rather know who's going to win in the end. Which one would you want to know? <laughs> it's like Jesus, right? You want to know that Jesus is going to defeat evil in the end. All evil is going to be defeated. And we could put in this judgment. There's a lot about judgment in this book. And what is judgment in the end? It's the victory of Christ over evil where the new heavens and the new earth are going to have no more sin. Praise the Lord for that. Um, Jesus is is going to defeat all evil. And then finally, we're called to glorify Jesus. We're gonna, there's a lot about worship. There's a lot about worship in Revelation. Uh, Revelation 1-6 hints at this here. And He made us a kingdom of priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're a kingdom of priests called to glorify Him, to worship Him, to ascribe to Him glory because He's God. It's pretty amazing, really, if you think about this. As we read through you know, Revelation, there's hard things going on. And one of the things God wants us to do in the midst of difficulty is worship. Worship Him. Keep worshiping the Lord. Don't let that fall by the wayside in the midst of difficulty that Christ is on the throne and He's worthy of our worship and our obedience and our faith. So, those are some of the main themes. They're not all the themes and some things will kind of fit in under those categories. You know, glorifying Christ is like, um, is worship. Worship fits under that, but there's more to it than that as well. But, this is just kind of an overview of some of the major themes here. And I just want to bring out, how does this fit into the whole book? So let's just talk about some of these positions just briefly. And really, I'm giving a way oversimplified thing on this. And if at the end of today you can't give a summary or remember these names, that's totally fine because uh, we'll go over more things. But I'm just trying to give you a, a, a brief introduction. So the first one at the very top, 
these are kind of views of the whole book, um, how someone might begin to interpret it. And they kind of, these are kind of more an overarching view. And then the next slide I'll show is views on the millennium. Okay. So I'm kind of putting these two, a lot of times somebody's view is kind of both of these combined really. And some, there's some overlap, but there's some that are different. Um, so someone, well, I won't get too into detail here. Okay. Let's start with this preterist. Preterist, um, basically just means that a person thinks that most of the things, um, if you get really technical, um, if someone's, if someone says they're a preterist, they probably mean they're a partial preterist. Um, because a preterist is someone that thinks that a, the majority of revelation occurred in the first century. And it's talking about things with Rome and that it was fulfilled back then. Not that it doesn't apply to us, but that it was really primarily talking about the things of Rome. Um, Rome, the things going on at the time. And, why most people would call themselves a partial preterist is because at the end, Jesus returns. And if you said that Jesus already returned, that would be heresy. <laughs> um, and so almost everyone would call themselves a partial preterist. Every once in a while, there might be somebody who says they're a preterist and Jesus has already returned, but that's heresy. So we know that's wrong. Um, so that would be preterism, really focusing in and majoring on the first century context throughout the whole book. Uh, the next one, and again, just highlighting that we agree basically on everything here uh, in, in the middle. Um, all, all, all the important things are in here. Not that these are unimportant. We want to do our best to understand and apply this, but we want to realize that many of these things we can disagree with people on, and that's okay. Um, historicists. This was really big back when the Puritans were around, and basically what... This short, short summary of it is basically that it predicts the different ages that the church is going to go through from the first century to the end times. And often they would view these letters to the churches as letters to the different ages of the church. So the first letter is not actually to Ephesus. It's really about right after Jesus came back. And then the next one is about this time in history. And they spend a lot of time breaking up history into these periods and trying to match them. And every, you know, a couple hundred years, well, they'd have to re-break them up because Jesus hadn't come back and they always thought they were in the last days. <laughs> and so this was really popular. It's not very popular anymore, but it's really viewing basically the book of Revelation as this. Here's what the history is going to look like all the way up until the end times. The symbolic view is it's very similar to the preterist view with a slight difference. Um that many of the people that I've read that are more of a symbolic view could say I, I'm i sympathetic to the preterist view. And you'll see why. The, the symbolic view is basically the idea that Revelation contains images of the spiritual reality that's going on behind the scenes that apply to all ages from the first century all the way to the end times. So you can see how this view down here would actually be quite similar, or they might have a lot of overlap because they say, oh yeah, these these images do apply to Rome, but they also apply to the 2nd century and to the 3rd century and to the 4th century and to the 5th. And so they really agree with the preterists in saying, yeah, these are talking about Rome in the 1st century, but not only Rome. They apply to all of us in all, in all ages. And the preterist believes that too, but they just have a different slant on it where they... Uh, 
they're they're heavily emphasizing the first century piece of it. Um, so those are very similar. Even one of the, I read one book on um, this kind of view, and the person basically said, "I could become a preterist, and when so and so finishes his book, I may become a preterist <laughs> because uh, some of the things he said is very convincing." So, anyways, um, that's kind of the symbolic view. The futurist view, uh, dispensationalists would kind of fall in this in this category, but that the vast majority of revelation will occur in the future at the end times. And so the vast majority of the book is predicting events in the future. And so those are kind of some major views. And like I said, I just want to reiterate, these things are, are not unimportant, but they're not all important. And that's a big difference, that we just want our priorities right. Um, the reality is there's many Christians... And we might be one of them, I might be one of them, that are wrong on their view of some of these secondary issues in Revelation. But when we meet the Lord, that's going to be okay. Because how can we prepare no matter what? Have faith in Jesus. Obey Jesus. Worship Jesus. Endure. Find our endurance in Jesus. Glorify Jesus. And know that Jesus has ultimate authority and he, his, He's going to have ultimate victory over evil. If we really have a grasp on that, whether these are predictions about the future, and a lot of times they're a more literal type of interpretation. If somebody thinks there's going to be a literal dragon that comes, uh, and there's going to be some literal beasts out of the sea, if they're right here in the middle and they're anchored in all these, they're prepared. Or if it's symbolic, and those things are just symbols of things that are already going on in the world, of governments and things like that, if you're obeying Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus, all these things, you're also prepared. Either way. And so, one another reason I wanted to present it this way is there might be different views here, but there definitely are different views, a wide variety of views in the people we meet. And I don't... I was listening to one sermon and the person basically said something like, I met this other person and I talked to them about Revelation and they were wanting to talk about it. And I just threw up my hands and I didn't know what to do with them. I just couldn't even communicate with them. And I don't want you to feel like that. I don't want you to feel like if somebody has a different view and it's very different from your view that you just don't know how to even relate to them. Because the reality is, is we can relate in all these areas. Um, and I think that particular one was somebody was really emphasizing the literalness of the dragon. Well, it's, it says dragon, so I believe there's going to be a real dragon, you know, and, and they just, they just felt like, I don't even know how to communicate with this person. Well, you can encourage their faith. You can encourage them to find forgiveness in Jesus if they haven't already. You can encourage them to endure in Jesus. And, you know, all these things that I've said. And so it's important to really look at this. And like I said, we could be wrong. I could be wrong. Our view might be wrong. Uh, we do our best. Revelation is not an easy book, but we can be thankful that the main things are clear. Right? that these main things are very, very, very clear and they're repeated over and over and over and over and we can have certain confidence in them. And if we're wrong, uh, we can trust that God's prepared us, that we're hearing and obeying. But we do want to do our best, right? We don't want to neglect these things, say they're not important. We want to do our best to understand. We want to hear and obey. And part of hearing is we want to really think these things through and do our best to understand it. So that's kind of 
this side and this is this is another chart on the different views this is more on the millennium so this is later on towards the end of revelation talks about the thousand years that's what the word millennium means the thousand years and people disagree on when that is and there's three main views the top one is amillennial a thousand years is a symbolic amount of time beginning at christ's resurrection the next one is postmillennial. The thousand years is spread. The thousand years is the spread of the gospel ending in Christ's return. And then the final is um, premillennial. The thousand years is the time of Christ's reign on earth that begins with his return. So his return comes first. And then, um, actually, you know what? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I think that's right. Okay. Um, the main point here really is is exactly the same point as the last time. Okay, I'm going to compare this to some things in the New Testament with Jesus. There can priorities are a big deal, and I talk about priorities a lot because I think they're really important, and I think that the Bible and Christ was really hammering in on these things uh, when He was here. We can be thoughtful, biblical. Um, careful, diligent. Uh, we can try and obey the Bible. But if we get our priorities wrong, we can miss badly. And a good example is Matthew 23, where Jesus talks to the scribes and the Pharisees. They were reading the Bible. They were trying to understand it. And they had their priorities really off. Um, I'll give you, I'll read this here to you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out an ad and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but on the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. It's a big deal, right? We can, we want our priorities right. And I would say for, you know, reason I bring all this up is, well, I changed some of the, um, we don't want to be like the Pharisees, right? We want to have our priorities right. We want to have the main things be the main things. And I feel like these in here in the center are the main points of revelation. We don't want to neglect any of these, that any one of these would be a, a large failure on our part if we neglected um, to endure if we neglected to worship, if we neglected uh, to submit and to believe in Christ's authority. And so we want, we don't want to be someone that strains out a gnat and swallows a camel. And I'll, I'll just ask you it this way, and let's just think about our culture, the context of Revelation in, in, in American Christianity. Which one of these would have been easier for you to answer maybe before this sermon or before we talked about it? Can you give me three views on Revelation? Can you give me three things Christ wants us to do or commands us to obey in Revelation? Me personally, I think it would have been easier to give the three views than to actually apply it to my life, which is sad, right? Um, that it shows that subconsciously, and it, I don't think it's intentional. I don't think it's, I don't think this has happened intentionally where we named our positions in such a way that takes the focus off Jesus, but it did. And it's become the focus. And it's made it the focal point, the wrong point. And so we want to bring back the focus and not lose the encouragement, 
the practicality, the pastoral nature of Revelation. How would you have described Revelation maybe coming into this? Some words that you would throw out. I was listening to one um, pastor and he he was giving an interview and he said, Revelation is so practical and that and the interviewer was kind of like practical. That's not what I would have said, right? But the reality is, is Revelation is practical. There's so much here that we can apply to our life today that helps us in the midst of our life in a difficult culture, swimming upstream, trying to have holiness in the midst of a fallen world. I mean, here's several things right here that we can apply to our life today. Everyone can apply today. Wherever we are, we can. We need faith in Jesus, don't we? Whatever situation you're in, the difficulty you're in, we need endurance in Jesus, don't we? There's difficulties. Everyone's going through difficulties in their life, varying whether it's emotional, physical, spiritual, relational, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's, whether it's with family or coworkers. We've got difficulties in our life. And Revelation speaks to the reality of life in a fallen world and how do we move how do we press on how do we move forward how do we endure well if we find our endurance in Jesus revelation is practical it's very pastoral that John really cares about these churches and their difficulties and whether they're slipping out of the priorities they should have had and he wants them to trust Jesus and to know Jesus and to persevere to the end and it comes across it's it's a warm book. Um, even the judgment passages. What's the purpose? God and John want want people to know Jesus. Want people to repent from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. To know Him. To have forgiveness. To find forgiveness. That the reason there's all these warnings of judgment is that there might be repentance. Someone might turn to the Lord before the end. And it's personal. I mean, just think about all of these things that we've talked about here. It's not just... I mean, we don't really think about Revelation as a very personal book because it's got a lot of these large images and it's talking about big events like the end of the world. And yet, there's all these little personal notes here, just like the one we read. To him who loved you. It's like we already talked about. Jesus loves you. You want to be prepared for the end times? You really need to know that Jesus loves you. You really need to know that he died on the cross for your sins. That you need to know that. And think about, think about it this way. God wrote a book to tell us about some of these big events. And what was the context? To a couple little churches in Turkey. It's pretty amazing, really. He could have left those little churches out if he wanted. Some of them, I'm sure, were fairly small, you know. And yet, Jesus wanted to give them a personal word. I know what's going on in your church. I know what's going on in your hearts. I know where you're doing well, and I know where you're struggling. And I want to encourage you in both. Encourage you where you're doing well. Encourage you to press on and repent where you're, where you're struggling. And it's profound. There's a lot of peace. <laughs> um, not intentional. Um, it's amazing to read the end, right? Revelation 
20, 21, 22 and see the victory of Jesus over evil and see everything put right and see God's people living with Him, seeing His face and fulfilling their purpose. I mean, isn't it a wonderful thing to know like this is what God's purpose is not only for humanity but for me personally. God wants me. What does God want from me? What, what was I meant to do? To be with Him, right? To worship Him, to know Him, to serve Him. It's a big deal to know what God has has given you to do now and forever. It's um, well, we we could go on and on about it, but it's amazing to read the end, right? I mean, all all the way through, but specifically, I think the new heavens, the new earth, and to see this the longest glimpse we have of what is it new heavens and the new earth going to be like. The way that the discussion on Revelation has been framed has really, in some ways, I think, unintentionally taken our focus off of Christ and off of the main things this book really is teaching. So instead of asking the questions immediately when we hear about the book of Revelation, well, when's the millennium? When's the tribulation? Uh, Things like that. Here's the questions I'm putting forward um, that we should ask as we read this book and as we go through the whole thing. What does this show me about Christ? We talked about that extensively last week. What does this show me about Christ? God wants us to see Christ. And it's important for us. And we have this wonderful book and that has images of Christ that we don't see um, told in this way other places. What is Christ calling me to obey? We don't want to just know all the positions. We want to apply what God has asked us to do throughout this book. And the beginning at the end, I feel like there's no coincidence that he's calling us to obey, that the blessing is for obedience, for hearing and obeying. What is Christ calling me to obey? What does this teach me about my role in his kingdom? Christ is king. That's huge in the, New Te- in, in the New Testament, but also in this book of Revelation, that Christ is the King of Kings. He's always on the, th- he's not always on the throne, in, but he's, he's on, he, <laughs> he is always on the throne, but he's not always as shown on the throne. He's always the King of Kings. And it comes up over and over and over here, and it's hit. Why does it, why does it say throne so much again that he's the King of Kings? But not only that, that we have a role in his kingdom. What does this teach me about my role in his kingdom? That it's not just a fact, which it is a fact that Christ is king of kings and that he's on the throne, but it's a fact that applies to our hearts and our lives. Now what do I do? What is he calling me to do? Where do I fit into his kingdom? Because it's a book about God, but it's a two people. And so it's for us. What does this teach me about my role in his kingdom? I mean, today we could ask some of these questions just from verses 1 to 9. I feel like we hit the main points, uh, which are also setting up the main points for the whole book, the main themes. But we're his priests. We're a kingdom of priests. We're people that need endurance, going through suffering, through difficulty. We're sinners that need to be forgiven. We're sinners that can be forgiven through Jesus, through his blood. We're servants that are called to obey. What does this teach me about my role in his kingdom? And then, really, the application question, how does this affect my life and thinking today? 
How does this affect my life and thinking today? There are some things that are a big deal that just change our mindset, which does change our actions. There's other things, you know, that are outward things that we need to do, like worship. Uh, it can be a hard action as well, but we want to glorify God. Um, we want to persevere to the end. It also affects our thinking. There's many, many things in here that we really need to get hold of, just kind of like we were already talking to, like Kay was talking about earlier. Like, There's so many things that we know in our minds that we know, but we don't know. We know, but we know shallowly and not deeply, you know? And I feel like we could always say that. We want to keep going. We want to press on. We want to not only know that Jesus is on the throne, but really when difficulty comes in, is that where we're standing on? Does that give us peace and endurance? Or do we need to just keep reminding ourselves, you know, uh, this is something that I know, but I need to repeat to myself because it's not real to me right now. And so these are just four questions. What does this show me about Christ? What is Christ calling me to obey? What does this teach me about my role in his kingdom? And how does this affect my life and thinking today? These last two are similar, but just slightly different. And so these are some of the questions we want to cover as we go forward. And really the other thing is too, I mean, if, if you're not a Christian, you know, it's available to you. This is urgent that you need forgiveness. You need to trust the Lord and that you can, that you're, you can be a part of the kingdom. You know, you could be one of the kingdom of priests. You can know God and be forgiven by God and trust him today. And, That's available to anyone. All right, well, why don't we pray here and we'll, we'll be dismissed. Father, we do thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. We thank you that you're going to return and be victorious over evil. Thank you for loving us and forgiving us uh, through your blood. We do want to worship you and say you're a wonderful and a good God and better than we deserve far better than we deserve thank you that you are going to save people from every tribe tongue people and nation we pray for these countries where there's lots of persecution and pray you just save more and more um, especially from these still unreached people groups all over the world We pray that you would help us just to obey you and everything you've asked us to do. We want to trust you and do what you've said. You're our King and our Lord and our Savior, and we're just, we want to do what you want. We don't want to be self-willed. Uh, we want to be obedient. So help us, help us understand so that we can obey. Help us to trust you more and more. We want to trust you today with everything you've put on our plate and in our lives. We trust you that you know what's what's best you know everything um, we trust you with our sins that you've washed them away and we ask that you'd help us to endure and press on to the end we don't want to grow weary or cold-hearted we need you and so we're asking give us endurance help us and we're thankful uh, that you're going to put everything right in the end uh, starting with us in our own hearts and throughout all the world. We're thankful. 
We do pray for our families that our kids would know you and love you and repent of their sins and be trusting you fully. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.